thankful, Father, for this opportunity to be here today. Thankful for everybody who's here. I'm thankful for your word. And I pray now in Jesus' name, you would instruct us in your word, that your spirit would be here with us, that you would give me the grace to honor Jesus Christ and to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters here. Lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture is John chapter 4, um, verses 27 through 38, I'll just use. Um, I think what I'll do is instead of reading the whole text, I'll just go through it line by line at a time, and you can follow along and just make some commentary as we go along. Um, as Shannon said, I'm the international director of AIM, Africa Inland Mission, uh, that uh, your church has been associated with for a long time as well, probably starting out with, uh, with Paul's parents, uh, John and Marguerite Lindquist. Um, Jenny and I and, our, and our, our children, we worked in three Muslim countries in East Africa. Um, AIM is an organization, we're a traditional missions organization, about 125 years old. We have about 700 field missionaries, 23 African countries, and working among African diaspora, including right here in the United States. Um, we want to do three things. First of all, we want to directly engage with unreached people groups as far as church planning and proclamation of the gospel. Second is we want to mobilize African missionaries. And the third is we want to help to train African church leaders. John 4 is a familiar text, and I don't need to teach you about the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, uh, because we all know that story. Uh, but this is the follow-on from that story. Um, what I'm going to do is go through the text and just make, I, I've tried to limit myself to one comment for each verse. We'll see how I do with that. And then we'll come together in the end and there's four application points I'll make. So that's where we're going. Um, and I'll just start right out here. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or what are, why are you talking with her? They marveled that he was talking with the woman. The point here that I'd like to make is that Jesus does surprising things that we do not expect. He refuses to fit into our boxes, whether they're national, racial, religious, and sometimes even theological. The disciples were wise enough not to challenge Jesus about this. May we be as wise as they were when he is doing something unexpected in our midst. Verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, well, and I'll tell you what she said in the next verse, that's 29. She left her water jar, she went away into the town and, and talked to people. Now this woman we don't even know her name, but someday I'm quite sure we will meet this woman and we will find out what her name is and we'll be able to hear the whole story. But she went from hearing to talking almost instantly. She became an instant evangelist. Um, actually, she was an evangelist before she was a true believer in Jesus Christ. Um, 
And this is a real principle of mission and outreach wherever we are, um, that people can begin to proclaim the gospel before even they're saved. Um, we saw this in this place called Comoro Islands where, they, where we worked. Um, if people get excited about the Lord, even before they really come into the kingdom, they can start to share the gospel. And there's much less risk for them at that point as well because they can, they can say, look, I'm a Muslim, but I'm studying this about Jesus Christ. I'm reading this about Jesus Christ, and this is really exciting to me. I'd like to share it with you. But they haven't been baptized. They haven't formally come into the kingdom. God, and they have a whole lot, a lot more freedom to share at that point. Um, so we would tell people, look, please don't identify as Christian until you are really convinced that you're ready to come into the kingdom of God. But you're welcome to share before that time. And there's a principle there in terms of movements of evangelism and movements of church planting that these people, these new seekers or very new believers, they can be the best witnesses. And the gospel can spread rapidly because they're full of excitement for what they're learning and also they're immersed in a non-Christian community. For most of us, after we've been in Christian community for a number of years, we end up really knowing very few non-believers. Our community shifts. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's just harder and harder for us to share the gospel. I think of myself. I'm the director of a mission organization. I'm surrounded with Christians all the time. I have to go out of my way to find non-believers to share the gospel. Pity the poor guy who sits next to me on the airplane. He's going he's to get the whole thing. Um, but these new, these pre-Christians or newly converted Christians, they can be great evangelists, um, and we will lead them to faith and disciple them, but they can share what they know from the very beginning, just like this Samaritan woman. Verse 29, what does she say? Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This woman, her experience is more convincing than her theology. She doesn't understand theology. She says, can this be the Christ? She doesn't even quite know who he is, but she says, here's a man who told me everything I ever did. Her experience is compelling rather than her theology, and no one can argue with her, right? She says, he told me everything I've, I ever did. Who can argue? The same is true for us. Now, we need theology, we need apologetics, but our experience of Christ can speak louder than any arguments or any theology. Her message is very simple. Come and see. Come and see this man. We can say the same thing, even if we don't understand everything, and even before we believe, we can say, come and see. That's our message to the non-believing world. They went out of the town, verse 30, and were coming to him. This is really interesting. So many people wanted to meet this Jesus, even though they should actually be scared of Jesus. Would you want to go and meet somebody who knew everything that you ever did? That would be a bit alarming to me to go and meet that person. But he does. He knows everything about them. He knows everything about us. But compelled by the woman's experience, they come. 
And as Jesus is talking with his disciples, his disciples have come back, and they can look out and they can see this crowd of people coming out of town to where the well is. And as Jesus is talking, here's all these Samaritan people moving towards them. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! Sounds like the Jewish mother thing, right? Eat, eat, yeah. Here's the disciples. Rabbi, eat. The disciples are thinking about food, about eating, uh, about, yeah, take care of yourself, Jesus. You're tired and hungry. Uh, that's not a bad thing. That's normal thinking. Everybody needs to eat. Uh, Luciano Pavarotti said once that uh, one of the wonderful things about human life is that no matter what we're doing, we need to stop every few hours and have something to eat. Maybe Luciano stopped a little more often than every two hours. But it's true, right? We have to eat. We love to eat. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but are we more concerned for our physical needs, our education, our careers, our family, our house, our retirement? Are we more concerned about these things sometime than the work of God? The harvest is ready Jesus says, the harvest is ready. Here comes the harvest. It's coming to us. Is it the time to be thinking about eating and drinking? Or is it time to think about the kingdom of God? Verse 32. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. There's another principle here. Jesus always has something that we don't know about, right? Jesus does things that are unexpected, but Jesus has things that we don't know about. He has a whole bunch of things that we do not know about. To the, to the disciples, the need for food was obvious, but there's a whole dimension of life going on here that they're completely clueless about. How often is this true for us? That there are whole dimensions, there are wonderful and profound things happening and we're completely clueless about these things. It's not the disciples' fault, but just be aware that there's things going on that we do not understand. The disciples said to one another, verse 33, has anyone brought him something to eat? Still thinking about food. The disciples are doing something nice, serving their master. They really think that he needs them and their food. But let's not forget that he really does not need our service. He is pleased with our service, but he does not depend on it. And I think of this in terms of mission, is that his army is vast, and he has many people to call on. He wants us to join. He wants us to engage in his work in the kingdom of God. But he has many, many soldiers in his army. If he calls us to do something and we do not obey, he will send someone else. He is not limited by our resources. He has resources. He has food that we do not even know about. Yeah, he will accomplish the Father's will. It's our blessing to participate. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to accomplish his work. I'm going to say that again. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus tells us about his food. And his food is doing the will of God. Now, what is this will in this particular situation? What is the will of God? The will of God is to preach the gospel and to save sinners. That is the will of God that is food to Jesus Christ there in that village of Samaria. Jesus loves to do this. Jesus loves to preach the gospel. Jesus loves to bring sinners into the kingdom. Uh, it is more precious to him than food. Think about yourself. When Jesus brought you into the kingdom of God, uh, that was more precious to him than all the best meals you could think of eating. You each individual is so precious to Jesus. It was his food to bring you into the kingdom of God. To bring the gospel to lost people is precious to Jesus. It's his food. I don't know about you, but I really, really love food. I love food. I love Mexican food. I love sausages with some nice spicy mustard. I love those. I love burgers. I love pizza. I love ice cream. Do you love ice cream? And I really love jelly beans. I know people are going to give me jelly beans after this, but it is honestly one of the most important things in my life food. And really, after oxygen and water, and all of us pretty much can get oxygen and water, right? You know, there's not very many people who can't get oxygen and water. But after that, um, what's more important than food for us? But your soul, and the souls of those lost Somalis and Arabs and Asians and Americans, they're a thousand times more important to Jesus than food. One other thing, Jesus does the will of God and accomplishes his work. He said, my food is to do the will of God and accomplish his work, right? Yeah. The point is, it's not just that he's going to do it, but he's going to accomplish it. When Jesus sets out to do something, he will accomplish it. It will be, it will be done. John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. We know these verses. I must bring them also. Then he says this, they too will, will, will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He will bring the lost sheep. That is his father's will. He will accomplish his father's will. There will be one flock with one shepherd. And that's good news for any of us who are engaged in proclamation of the gospel in mission is that Jesus will accomplish it. We saw these slides from India. He is accomplishing his Father's will. That is his food to bring those Indians into his kingdom. Verse 35, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. I'm sorry, do you not say 
There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Okay, four months and then come the harvest. Either he's talking about the normal cycle of you plant and four months later, then comes the grain harvest, or he might be talking about, okay, we've just planted, so actually in this time, then four months we're going to harvest. Fine, there's a delay between planting and harvesting is what he's saying. This is normal, but he's saying, we don't have to wait. Here comes the harvest. Look, it's coming. It's coming to us right now. It's an unexpected harvest, but here it comes right now. It's coming to us too. The world is coming to us. Immigrants are coming to us from all over the world. Muslims are coming into the kingdom of God. It's happening, this unexpected harvest. Those people in northern India, the people in your own community, the people that we've seen in these different communities in Africa, it's happening right now. Verse 36 says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. What rewards... What rewards there are for those who participate in the harvest of God. There are rewards both here on earth and rewards in heaven as well. Jesus talks about gathering fruit and receiving wages for eternal life and joy together with the other labors of the harvest. What is better than this? What is better? better than these rewards that he offers us. I'll tell you a little story when I get to the end, but point is this, the rewards are there for us and they are wonderful rewards. The harvest, the glory belongs to the master, but they're rewards for those who participate. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps, this is still true. In some places, we in Africa, we are sowing hard, we are sowing in hard soil. In others, we're reaping a harvest. There's no reaping without sowing. But Jesus invites his disciples and invites us into the harvest. So whether sower or reaper, rejoice in this. The reapers will seem so fruitful and will have so many good stories to tell. Yeah, the sowers will have very few of these stories to tell and will seem much less fruitful, but all are essential. All must be faithful. Some will be more fruitful than others. All must be faithful. Some will be more fruitful than others. I think of a harvest going on in North India. People sowed for many, many years, and the harvest is now. Yeah. There's no place for pride or for jealousy Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 38, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into their labor. What is he talking about? Probably in that case for the disciples, he's talking about the Old Testament writers and prophets and John the Baptist who sowed before. Yeah, For us, it's 2,000 years of faithful witness in various parts of the earth. Others have sowed and we can enter into the harvest. We and the disciples will reap the harvest. But here's what I want to emphasize. Jesus sent the disciples into the harvest, and he still sends workers into his harvest. So ask yourself, where might he be sending me? 
I make four points. Our stories, our roles, our mission, our food. Okay. Our stories. I told you I'd tell you a story. This is just a very simple story. It's more of a theme for everywhere we worked, that I'd be sitting there in Comoro Islands or in Djibouti or in that place we used to call Alcatraz in the Horn of Africa, sitting, whether speaking French or speaking local language with people, in our home or in someone else's home, mosque call going on, outside, surrounded by people who would be very unhappy with what we were doing, teaching the Word of God in the local language. Sitting there with a group of seekers or young believers, Somalis, Comorians, other people teaching the Word of God. And I would sit there and think, this is the most amazing privilege I could have. What is better than this, than sitting here, a little island in a great sea of Islam, teaching the Word of God in local language to the local people? That was a wonderful privilege, an unspeakable privilege that the Lord gave to us. But each of us has the same opportunity. Yeah. Maybe a few of you, that opportunity will be in Africa. And if you want to go to Africa, I'd love to have a chat with you. Others among the nations who are flocking to the Bay Area right now, and all of us to our friends and neighbors who don't know the Lord, the privilege is there for all of us. We can all have our own stories in this book. Our roles. What is the role of the disciples? This is early days for the disciples. This is not Acts chapter 2. This is John chapter 4. They are learners, disciples. And that's fine for the time being. Jesus does not condemn the disciples for not understanding, and he does not condemn us. It's a good thing to be a learner. What are you? Are you a missionary or an evangelist like the woman? Are you a learner like the disciples? Either is a good place to be. But how can we move from learning to proclaiming the gospel? Is it theological education? Is it missions training? Well, these are very helpful and these are great things. But mostly, if we want to move from being learners to being proclaimers, we need to have what this woman had. We need to have experience of Jesus Christ. What we really need is to experience Jesus. The woman had real experience. She went straight off to share it. She could not not share the gospel. It was impossible for. What do we need to experience? For some of us, yeah, it is his rebuke. And that may be scary, but he was so gentle with that sinful woman. For others, it's his love and forgiveness. Think of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. For some, it is, it is his call, like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. It's different for everybody. Ask him, seek him. He loves us so. He wants us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Listen to him and obey him. Third, our mission. Let's talk about missions in the same breath, about local outreach. These things 
go together. We don't have to choose between them. Not so much about the what, but about the why. Why be a missionary? Why share your faith with your friends and neighbors? Well, there's at least five answers right here from John chapter 4. First of all, because it's the Father's will for the lost to hear the gospel and to come into the kingdom. Second, because we have experienced his love, his touch, his forgiveness, his rebuke, his call. We've experienced this ourselves. Third, because the fields are white for harvest. Fourth, because there are wages, fruit, joy for all eternity. And fifth, because he will accomplish his will. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And finally, food, our food. What is your food? What are you eating? What do you live for? Is your food just food? Or is it sports, computer games, or wine, or sex, or money, or politics, or nationalism, or your house, or your car, or your health, or your family, your financial security, or your retirement package? What do we need? What do we love? What do we seek? Is it the same food as Jesus Christ? Or are we eating junk food? Is it doing and accomplishing the will of God, specifically in this case sharing the gospel with lost people? What is your food? What are you eating? Bible invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. His will is good. If you doubt what I say or maybe think, I know the missionary is right, but that's not my experience. Let me confess that it's not always my experience either. I have my own type of junk food. But to all of us, Jesus invites us to come. Sit at his feet. Eat at his table. Take his yoke. Learn from him. Join him in his work. He invites us to missions and evangelism. In Africa, here on the peninsula, it is the privilege that he offers us. This is food to Jesus. This is food to his people. It can be your food, too. Father, bless my brothers and sisters and feed us with the food that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.